I want to invite your attention to um, Mark, the book of Mark. And we're going to look at when God speaks. Now, there's different worldviews as to whether God speaks or not and how and so forth. But uh, seeing that you're in church, we will assume that he does. And I pray that you have ears to hear. This day, today's message can be a real life changer for you. It really can. If you'll hear. There's a story of a little boy who was going through that stage in life. He was asking questions. You know, why is the sky blue? Why does the sun shine? Why is rain wet? So he, he was with his mama one night and she was... It was evening time, and she no, he noticed that she went to the counter, and she opened up this can of white stuff, and she starts smearing it on her face, cold cream. He says, Mom, he said, why are you putting that stuff on your face? She said, well, it's so simple. It makes me beautiful. And a few minutes later, she starts to remove the cold cream, and he asked her, he says, did it not work? <laughs> so, I, I don't know if you, I don't know what happens to those question asking times in our lives. We all talk to ourselves. You know that, don't you? We do. Um, I, I don't know when we quit asking ourselves questions. Matter of fact, I think we probably ought to do it more often. Because oftentimes it's the questions and asking the right questions can change our life. It can be a real game changer for us. And I, I just a, about last month when we were taking our annual trip to Bardstown, we go to this monastery, I traveled with Tommy Oaks. The first time I'd ever traveled with Tommy Oaks was intense. Tommy Oaks doesn't have surface level, like, what's a nice day kind of conversations. No, not with Tommy. I mean, there were deep questions, and we know more of the God. He came to my house, and we got in the car, and he says, okay, Greg, he said, I want you to tell me your life story. And I'm like, oh, brother. I said, are you sure you want to hear this? I mean, I listen to other people's life stories. And I'm like, no, I want to hear it. We got five hours. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, we got to about Danville, which was about an hour away from our destination. And um, I, finally, uh, uh, I finally finished my life story. I mean, he wanted to know details. And uh, I, by the time I got there, I had felt like that I had been through an interrogation, you know. Now, he just asked questions. Didn't make any assumptions, nothing. Just asked questions. But, you know, it really helped me. And um, it, it helped me to kind of assess where I was and where I'm at in my life at the moment. And it helps me to look back on my life to... to to look at life at, at where, where, why I'm at, where I'm at right now. 
And, and that's important. Those are important questions. And I realized how important that conversation was as much as I dreaded the conversation. Because I would ra way rather talk about, you know, other things other than myself. It just seems so self-serving. Doesn't it? But when we ask ourselves some questions, it helps open us up. Now, there, there, there are four, at least four things that you need to know about yourself. Okay? There are at least four things that you need to know about yourself and four questions that you need to ask to get there. So this is a, a real, very personal message. In that regard. The first one is this. The first thing that you want to know about yourself. Is you want to know what your story is. What is your story? That's the first one. What is your story? Because your story reveals your past. And everybody has a past. You have a past that is filled with successes you got a past that is filled with memorable moments you got past that is filled with regrets or I wished I could have done that thing over or I wished I hadn't have said that or I wished I hadn't made that choice so you you have a past and with that past there are the past of the facts that you have about yourself and the perceptions and the interpretations of how you interpret that. It is that that forms the assumptions that you have and are you're living with right now. And those assumptions are assumptions that you have about yourself, about others, and about God. And sometimes our perceptions are right in line with reality and the truth, and sometimes they are not in line with reality and truth. But the reality of the fact is, is that we all have a past. And that past is the, is the, the land that we, it, it's the place that we stand upon that becomes the foundation for our steps forward. So we all, have, we all have a past, and those pasts reveal our assumptions that we have, our beliefs that we have about God, about ourselves, and about others, and about life in general, about relationships about our career, about family, about life. And those assumptions become the things that guide us and form us and direct us. Which brings us to the present. And the present says, you see the past says that's the way it was. In reality and in perception. The present says, here's the way it is now and how I perceive it. And it's what's driving me now. 
So what you see is oftentimes the way it was determines where we are and becomes what is driving us in the now. It is our present. It's a part of our story. And the present will very quickly become the... Oh. You're going, at least you're going forward. Right? It, it, is, it is a reflection of our past. It's a reflection of how we look at life and how we perceive life. And... And, and again, it serves as the guide forward for us. So we have the past and we have the present, and nobody here really knows the what? Future. But we want to, don't we? We want to know the future. So what is the future direction my life is taking? Well, you can say, well, you look at the past, and you look at where I am at now, and if you're on this same trajectory, then you can pretty well have a good idea where your future's going. That should be a no-brainer, shouldn't it? So the way it was is the past, the way it is is the now, and the way forward is what? The future. So there's, there is a future. There is a future. Now, where is God in all this? Where is God in all this? And does God have anything to say about my past, my present, and my future? Or is it the reality that the pages in this book are basically stuck in history and have formed just the way that people think and worship and really have no relevance for the future. That's a whole worldview that is acceptable today. And by the way, among many who claim faith in Christ. They say the Bible is outdated, it is, is antiquated, it doesn't really speak any kind of relevance into my life at all. And so they live their life based on their past and the present and what they perceive they want their future to be. Now, the way forward is, is that we have, we have dreams, we have, a, we have goals, we have aspirations, we have a vision of ourselves, what we want to be in how many years? And we set goals. You know, early on in life you do this, you do this, at the age of about 13, when you realize that at 15 and 8 months that you're going to have a car, maybe. Or at least you're going to have a license. And you begin, you begin to envision your life, what it's going to be like when you're driving, right? I could see myself at, 15, I could see myself at 14, at 11, you know. You know, I had that vision because, I mean, I mean driver's, a driver's license meant that, that I had, I had a, a great liberty. I could go. And, you know, we didn't go too far from where I was. You know, we made, in, in those days, we would cruise around Pizza Hut 900 times. 
because that's what everybody else did. Right? We'd cruise the town. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of things to do in mountain towns except cruise. I don't even know if that's legal now. But you'd, we'd ride around and people would, it was a social event, basically. But you envision your life. You envision your life and your family. And one of the things now, being at the age I am, is like, wow, I look back and I'm thinking, wow, I really got that one wrong. Yeah, I mean, age really does give you some perspective. It really does. It's really cool. I'm like, I wish I had this perspective now back in my 20s. Maybe I could have if I asked myself the right questions. Could it be? Could it be that we, if we ask ourselves the right questions and we perceive the reality of what God wants to do in our lives and we learn to hear His voice, could it be? Could it be? I think it could. Because God's got something good for us right he is good won't we say well certainly so when does God speak when God speaks notice here when God speaks the very first thing go to the next one when God speaks we we find that there's two particular words that is used in the Bible in the Greek language one is logos Logos was a Greek term. There were two particular words in Greek language concerning God speaking. One was this, lo- this idea of this logos. It is a word, a conception. And for the Greeks, that was the big idea. And they were looking at what is the ultimate reality of life. That was their big quest for a Greek. They were looking at what is the logos, what is the very center point of ultimate reality, what is the true of truth. And we see it in both the living and the written word of God. We'll get to that. And the second one is this. It is a word, rima. And the rima is an utterance. It's an utterance. And we'll look at two different perspectives or two different ideas on this as it relates to this. So when you think of the, the word word in the Bible, it comes up one or two ways here. It's either a spoken word as an utterance like in the preaching of the gospel. It is an uttered word. And sometimes it is, it is a word that is spoken that is a fitly word at the moment of time when you need it. Now, most of people here have had that experience probably. That you've been going through something in your life and somebody spoke a word from Scripture or something comes to your mind and it just speaks to your heart right at that moment. It's kind of like that Rima word. It is something that is designed for that situation or in our lives at that moment but God speaks now here's what happens when God speaks now I want you to look at this because there's there's two or three passages that I want to give you and then we're going to get into something here go ahead and go to the next one notice here the writer in Hebrew says by faith we understand that the universe was created by the logos the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, God has creative ability to make something out of nothing. 
Now, oftentimes we have that ability too. It's usually not good. But God has the unique ability because of omnipotence and omniscience and all knowledge to create something out of nothing. John chapter 3 verse 34 says, For when he sent, for being Jesus, for he is sent by God, he speaks God's ramata. For God gives him the spirit without limit. He uses the form of rima. God in the living Christ was the living word of God who speaks into people's lives. So God, on one hand, is the ultimate reality, the logos, the word that is not only written, but the word that is living, and then it is uttered specifically and into people's lives. Peter did this in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Peter, taking a stand with eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judah and all you living in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give heed to my words. He was preaching the gospel. And he gives words to believers when dealing with adversity. Put on the helmet of salvation. He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Rema, the Word of God. That word that is specifically, that's why church is important. That's why the Bible's important. Because let me say you, if the Word is not in there when you're dealing with life, what do you draw from? So God speaks. God is speaking, God speaks, and God has given us the revelation of Himself in His Word. And He's given us the revelation of Himself in the person of Christ. He's given us those two ways. Specifically that we know who this God is. So we know that there is a God by general revelation. The sun shining. The, this is a beautiful fall day. It's warm outside. And boy I perceived it wrong. I wore a sweater today. It's warm outside. We, 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 we can see that. The reality of all the blessings or all the pain. So God is speaking and God speaks. And sometimes God has a way of really getting our attention. Now I don't like those ways usually. I struggle with those. I would, per I would prefer to learn my lesson the first time. I prefer to learn that way. Or even better, I prefer to learn it by opening my heart to God and saying, Yes, Lord, speak to my heart. Your servant is listening. That's a better way. Say that with me. Yes, Lord, speak to my heart. Your servant is listening. Say that with me. Yes, Lord, speak to my heart. Your servant is listening. Say it one more time. Yes, Lord, speak to my heart. 
your servant is listening. That's our prayer. Now there's four questions. There's four questions that you need to ask about this. And this is where there's a starting point of today's message. You're thinking again, man, that's just the introduction, Greg. <laughs> yep, I have a tendency to give long introductions. There's a lot that goes on in my brain. And I was even getting stuff on the way here this morning as I was praying. And God was like pouring stuff into me. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have got something really good today, Lord. There's four questions that you need to ask. Now, if you notice, I just gave you three things that you want to know. And I said there were four. How many of you caught that? It's at the end. Four good questions. Notice here, Jesus, and here's the story that, that Rachel read this so beautifully this morning. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and he asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, is that a good question or not? That's a great question. He's basically saying, what is the meaning of all this? And I want to know not only how to have life now, but in the future. I want to know the way. Good question. And notice what Jesus does. And I'm thinking, this is really remarkable. And I'm thinking, why does he do this? Well, Jesus was the art of not answering questions, but asking questions. And the question that he asked was, why do you call me good? Now think about this. Now this, for a long time, messed up my theology. And I'm thinking, what is Jesus saying here? Is Jesus implying that he's not good? No. He's saying, why do you call me good? Well, you're a, you're a teacher. You're a rabbi. You're, you're you, you know, you, you, you're, you're here. He says, but notice here, why do you call me good? Jesus knew that good questions opens up our, our assumptions. And our assumptions, remember, our assumptions deal with the way we have lived in the what? Past. Get it? Jesus was opening him up so that he could see himself. And let me tell you, this guy thought pretty highly of himself. He, he worked hard, he lived right, and Jesus asked him the question, and he, if we were to, this is the back story. The back story of this guy's life is, I'm a pretty good guy, don't you think? And Jesus says to this guy, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. It wasn't a reflection about Jesus. It was a He wanted this question to reflect back into the heart of this guy so that it would open up his assumptions. And it opened up the way he looked at life and the way he looked at the now and as the way he looked at his past. And here's what his assumptions were. 
Well, certainly God is good, you, you would think. Only God is good. But to answer your question now, you know the commandments, right? Well, certainly. You, 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 you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. You must honor your father or mother. Teacher, the man replied, I'm a good man. Huh. Oh, really? Listen. He was a good man. His assumption was that his morality made him good. His morality in his living meant that his essence and his being was Faultless before God. So he had done the external things. He did it well and did it right. And not only that, he was wealthy. And the wealth would prove that God was blessing him, wouldn't you not think? Well, he was thankful. God's, look what God, God has blessed me with. Notice here, a good question opens up the assumptions that you have. And the assumptions that you have are the beliefs and the perceptions that you have about your life. One of the, one of the hardest things to pull back out of is your past. Now, Jesus met the woman at the well. Here's the flip side of the story. Jesus met, meets the woman at the well. She rec he recognizes that uh, she was a Samaritan. And he begins to talk with her about drawing water and living water. This woman's life was a wreck. Relationship after relationship after relationship and now living with a guy. I mean, she would not be the go-to person about how to make it, make it work. Right? No. But Jesus began to open, bring these questions that opened up her assumptions about herself. And she knew then that, when, that, that Jesus had her number. I'm telling you, when Jesus gets your number, sometimes it brings the, the truth of the reality of what is down here in the depths of our heart to the forefront. And that's what happened. And this woman came to Messiah. Man, I mean, her life changed. She goes back to all of her former lovers. She says, here's a, here's a man who tells me everything. He must be the Messiah. He brings truth that resonates to the heart. I'll give you another example. Adam and Eve in the garden in the fall. They go to the furthest place in the garden. They hide themselves with fig leaves to hide their nakedness and their shame and their guilt and, their, and the dissonance and the, and the disharmony that that one decision based on their free will, that the one decision that they made in disobeying God and they go hide and what does God do? God doesn't wipe them off. He says, he goes to the garden like he normally did, and he says, hey Adam, where are you? Even God asks questions. 
He says, where are you, Adam? Where, where are you, Adam? He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know where you are? Because where you are could be the summation of a lot of assumptions that you have made to be true either about yourself, about God, about others, about life, about your future. We easily, easily, easily get stuck in our past successes and past failures. They just have a way of hanging on. And when we embrace our successes, it becomes our security. It becomes the thing that we live for. It, it, it becomes that center thing that we talk about all the time. It's, it's, what, it, it's what invades our conversations. So good questions open up assumptions. Here's a guy who says... I'm good, and I'm moral, and I am rich. And there's God's evidence in my life. But there was something that was nagging him. He couldn't put his finger on it. He couldn't pinpoint it. He heard Jesus speak. And, and, and this was the point, you think about it. Here, here's a guy that was running to Jesus, and he says, Good Master, he said, what must I do? I need some self-justification. There's always one nagging question that you have. One nagging question, one thing. What, what else must I do? What else can I do? This guy felt pretty self-justified, whereas the woman at the well felt the reality of her sin. So notice we're still in the, in the way of the past, and this guy's still in the way of the past and the present. This guy's pretty good in his thinking. So good questions open up our assumptions. Here's the second thing. Better questions do this. Better questions reveal what is at the heart of what I value the most. Notice what Jesus goes for. Jesus didn't ask him the bottom line of what he made or the bottom line of his life, but he went for the bottom line of what was in his heart. The, the real question, the better questions reveal what is in the heart of what we value the most. And I'm telling you that there can be some pretty good things that, we, that are good things to value that can enter into the heart place, that center point of our life that we end up worshiping. That we end up holding on to. That we end up finding our security in. That we end up making the center point of our life. That we make it the center point of our reference. And therefore, why we can't move out of the way of the past and the way of the present is because there's something that is anchoring us down into it that we've centered our whole lives around. And I could not see my life any different without whatever that thing is. Being in that position, center point of my life. 
For this guy, it was his money. Or it was his wealth. He couldn't imagine he, he couldn't imagine his life any other way without it. By the way, here for anybody <clears throat> thinking about this, and I hope you are. Most of us are uh, are pretty wealthy, comparatively. Comparatively, you see, it could have been money, it could have been relationships, it could have been. It, it doesn't matter what you put at the inner. I mean, for this guy, it was it was riches. And Jesus is saying, there, there is a real snag here when our security, when our life, and when what we value the most becomes to be these things. And it doesn't matter whether you have them or don't. Because I've known people that didn't have, quote-unquote, a whole lot, put a whole lot of value in stuff. And we hang on to it. And we put a whole lot of value in what people think of us. And we put a whole lot of value in... Our reputation, or we put a whole lot of value in, 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 in all kinds of stuff, or in our family, or, or, or in, in this activity, or in this thing. We put a whole lot, of, I'm going to tell you, we put a whole lot of, and it's easy and real tempting for pastors to put a whole lot of value into their ministry. I, I'm telling you, anything can enter into that heart position that only belongs to God. And the tendency of our human heart is to put other things in there other than God. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that our, our, our loyalties were divided. That our heart was so prone to be pulled in, into, in, into having these things as the center part of our life. And how, how easy is it? Well... It's very, very easy. Why? Because we don't ask the questions that reveal the depth of the heart. What happens when you do? Well, what happens when you do and you reorder? You can reorder your life or you can get a new foundation and a, and a new system to which you can begin to look at life and the way forward in your future. You see, it's a, it's a, it's a two-edged kind of thing here. It, it's that you've got the past and, and he, for this guy it was his successes. It was the way and he was doing, doing well and he was a good man. He was a good person, well-respected, well-loved. But there was one nagging question. What else must I do? There must be something else that I'm going to do. There, I mean, in other words, he's asking, where is life at? What's the meaning of it? So better questions reveal what, is the, what you value the most. So looking this, notice here, I'll, don't miss this. Looking at the man, Jesus felt, I like this, genuine love for him. He did not rebuke him, by the way, for being rich. And don't take this message as a message of rebuke for those who are rich. It's not. That's, that's, that's not it. There's still one thing that you haven't done, though. Now, what's he getting at? Well, Jesus knows the what? Knows the heart. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And this guy probably did a big gulp by that time. <gasps> what? Yeah. 
Now he had, by the way, this, this story is not only about the rich man, it's about his disciples who are there, who are listening. They're saying, Lord, we have, we've, we've, you know, Peter's like, I left the fishing business to follow you. I mean, I mean, haven't we done that? And, and now you're saying, yeah. I mean, Jesus says that, I mean, these statements are kind of like, I mean, they, they really just grab your heart and rip it open. And, and you're saying, okay, there it is. And you're going, oh. Because it hurts. But notice here, the greatest act of love of a friend is the truth. It's the truth. This guy and everybody else and everybody that wanted to be like him, this rich man. And Jesus gets to the heart of it. For Peter, it was, will you leave the boats and the fishing? Because that's the center part of your life. Will you trust that to me? For Nicodemus, who was struggling with the questions of eternity in his heart, he goes to Jesus by night and he says, you know, what is it? What, what must I do to be saved? You've got to be born again. That's impossible. He's thinking, how can I, I mean, I can't do, I can't even do that. I can't be reborn. No, you can't. But you can be born from above. With man is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Have you been settled enough to let God be God of your life? That's an, that's an honest question. Because I, I, th- I think that when we do that, we, we really bring ourselves into a place of greater peace. Less anxieties, for sure. And I would like to tell you that I got this down, and I don't. So better questions reveals what is at the heart of what I've aid the most. Here's the third one. The best questions expose the driving motives of my choices. Oh, what did Jesus say? If Jesus would have asked us as a question, he'd say, oh, will you just come follow me? Just leave it all. Give it away and come follow me. I mean, everything, yeah, just leave it all and trust me that I will take care of you. Now, that sounds to me reckless. I don't know about you, doesn't it? Huh? Listen, I've had accounting class. That sounds reckless. That, that, is, that would be horribly reckless, wouldn't it? It would be horribly reckless to think that this guy's going to leave it all to follow. Now notice here, there were some disciples there that had done that. 
I mean, they put, they put all their eggs in the Jesus basket. I like some of my eggs in the Jesus basket and some in this basket over here and so, because you always want options. Right? I want a little bit of Jesus, I want a little bit over here, and I want a little bit of this. And that's why we play around with sin, and that's why we get stuck in our lives, and that's why we stay where we're at. That's why we never venture too far out of what's holding our heart, because and our word speaks what's in our heart. And Jesus just comes and says, I want it all. Everything. He says, just come follow me. And then I could think of it as a question, will you come follow me? I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. What if that means that you've got a, a, an existence on a mission field somewhere and you may, not be, you may not be living the dream that you had for your life? I mean, what if God sends you to ten but two? Right? Would you go? See, most of us want God on our terms. I'm more comfortable with that. How about you? We want God to come to where we are and to validate what we're doing and validate where we're at. And Jesus comes along and he says, scrapes it all. He says, who's good? Will you follow me? And I could look at my life and I'd say, oh, Lord. I mean, do you know the cost? But do you know what it's going to cost if you don't? Follow him. Jesus is saying, you're not even perceiving reality right because there's a perception that God has that is the heavenly perception of what he wants to do in your life. And when you can bust out of the past and bust out of what's holding you back now, you can move forward into God's plan and purposes for your life that will blow your mind. Why? Because only God is good. Man, I could preach. You getting it? So the best questions expose the driving motives of your choices. See, you see, we're 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 satisfied with just changing our behavior, reforming. And God's not satisfied with a personal reformation. He wants spiritual transformation. He comes to wreck the house and to clean it up and to rearrange it. And to set your feet on a solid foundation. This is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. This guy goes away sorrowful. And he should have been. You see, here's the deal. He would have found a greater treasure in Jesus. More than what anything in this world fleetingly offers. It rusts, it can be robbed, it decays. It's like that new car when you buy it, it smells so good and after a year of going through the drive-thru, you think, I need a new car. Right? And somehow it, that new car, you gets a little dirt on it. You know, scratch here and there, a ding, a ping. 
my status is not going up. Right? Status symbol. Can be, if that's our motive. God knows, and this is why no man can really judge you. God knows what's in your heart. And God knows the why even when we don't. But a better question, a best question will say, why am I? If I were a young person, I would say, why am I pursuing this career? Why am I pursuing this track in my life? And it's, it's because of my future. It's, it's, it's my vision. It's my vision. Let me ask you, what if you let God in on your vision? What, what could happen? What could happen if, if, if you just say, okay, the paradigm's going to shift. I've got my past, and I've got that foundation, and I've got the present, and the future. What, what could happen forward? What if God is invited? Here's, here's the ultimate question. And the fourth point of the message, by the way, is this one. The ultimate question your heart longs to know is, what is the meaning and purpose of my life? And God has answered it. It's not what you think. It's not what most of the world says. I mean, this, this is so opposite the way that we're raised, the way that our world thinks. This is so... This is so counterintuitive to our own heart and our own human nature and our own limitations and our own failures. But I'm telling you, when you get stuck and you know it and you're in the present and you're stuck and you know it, you need to know a way forward. Right? You see, you'll, you'll experience enough of life in heartaches and fears and tears and all of those things that, that will open you up to... Ask some questions. He was a rich, young ruler. Questions that we are not prone to ask when we're younger, oftentimes. Because we got our way set in our thinking set. But what could happen if we get this question right? What could happen with the ultimate question? The ultimate question, well, the guy had it right. Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? That's the ultimate question. What is another way of saying What is the meaning and purpose in, of my life? And what more must I do? He says, just change who you are. And you can't do it. But God can. Here's the answer. I want you to go to the next one here. You see, what brings my life, a living existence, into a life filled with meaning? Two different things. What brings my living existence into a life filled with meaning? Is it just about existing? God speaks and Christmas happens. God speaks. So, we see this. I want you to go to the next one here. Very quickly. Let's go. 
We have our past, we have our present, we have our future, we have a good question, reveals where we are now. A better question reveals what is at the very heart of what I value. And the best question reveals the motive of what I'm living for. But the ultimate question answers the question, what is the meaning of my life now and forever? See, if if you've not answered the forever question, then the now question of meaning is, is hanging and dangling loose. It's dangling. When you get the forever answer answered, then everything else just falls into place. Your past, your present, your future. All of a sudden, Jesus said it this way. Go to the next one here. Jesus said it this way. He tells Thomas. He says he tells his disciples as they were gathered. He said, "I'm going to go away. We've we've put our we've put all of our eggs in your ba- in in the Jesus basket, and you're leaving. You can't do that." We have an expectation of you, Jesus. Oh, I've got to go. We have no idea, Thomas said, where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus told them, say this with me, I am... The way, past, present, future. Got it? No man comes to the Father except by me. Here's what Jesus can do. He can redeem past failures. Like that? He can empower you in the present for godly living. And Jesus knows your future like nobody. What I'm saying is that he's trustworthy and trustable. Trustworthy. You can trust him. We're looking for something that we can do. God is looking for relationship. And he says when you get down to the heart of it and Jesus is Lord, when you can't see the way forward, there is a Savior who does. He says, I am the way. And then he gets truth to speak into our lives, into our past, into our present. And it, it, it all of a sudden, it sheds light into our lives. It enlightens us into our, into our way that you say, well, God, you were there. Yes, I was right there all along. Then if you were there all along, then you'll be there all the way. Yes, yes. What we find in this statement, and Jesus said it this way, I am, meaning God, the designation of God in the Old Testament was I am. I am the, emphatic, the way, the truth, the You're trying to figure out the ultimate meaning, the logos, the big idea. It is Jesus. That's it. His truth is knowable. His way is knowable. It's believable. And it's livable. And what is livable means that it has meaning. So what happens when God speaks? Let's go to the last one. What happens when God speaks? 
What happens when God speaks is he reveals who he is. He speaks into our hearts. He enlightens us about ourselves. He empowers us for meaningful life change. That's how you move forward in your life. Lord, if you're that good, and he is, then speak to your servant because I'm listening. And Lord, I know that what I give to you at the altar, or what I give to you in sacrifice, will return many fold in ways that will blow circuits in your mind. How is God speaking to you? Let's pray. Father, you have a way of drawing our hearts and changing our lives. You have a way of exposing the lies that we believe about ourselves, about you, about our past, our present, and our future. You have ways to speaking into our lives. And my prayer for this congregation, for us this morning, is for ears to hear and hearts that are empowered to trust. Lord, give us trust that we may trust you first and foremost as Savior of our lives, forgiver of our sins. And as Lord, with this abandoned trust into you, the living Christ. It is our prayer in Jesus' name, for his glory we pray in our lives.